You're listening to the Ali at UNT podcast, produced by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas. Learn something new in every episode as we interview UNT faculty, subject matter experts, and lifelong learners in our community. To learn more about our non-credit courses and events, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu, or send us an email at olli at unt.edu. Now let's join our host, Ali at UNT member, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I'm excited to speak today to Dr. Kim Williams about a subject that I find fascinating, the psychology of travel. In other words, how our personalities influence our travel plans. Dr. Williams is the chair for Hospitality and Tourism Management at UNT. She is also the faculty advisor for the Disney College program. Dr. Williams researches a vast variety of topics that influence the travel industry and travelers, such as crime and tourism, resilience in the hospitality business, and virtual reality and hospitality training. That sounds interesting. She travels around the world sharing her research at conferences and locations far and wide, such as Hong Kong, Dubai, Puerto Rico, and Hawaii. That alone makes her an excellent expert in travel. We're fortunate to have Dr. Williams here to share her expertise with us. Welcome, Dr. Williams. Welcome, and I love that energy and this excitement and passion about travel. I share the same, so thank you for that wonderful introduction. Yes, I have been eagerly awaiting to talk to you because this is one of my very, very favorite things to do, and you're an expert in it, so this is really exciting. I'm excited, too. Thank you for having me. You bet. Hey, people are so different. I know when I take a vacation, I like to see everything I can in the area. I like to go on hikes. I research ahead of time so I know what's available for me to see so that I'm not somewhere and then I get home and say, oh, darn, I missed that. And I like to set up agendas. My kids used to tease me and say, mom, did you schedule in when we can go to the bathroom? <laughs> I mean, I know I am an extreme, but it's fun for me because I feel like when I've gone somewhere, been there, I've been there, I've done it, I've immersed myself in it. I love it. It's fun for me. Now, other people, of course, are on the other end of the spectrum. They like to read. They li I like to read, but I can do that at home. They like to sit in a hot tub and soak. So what should a person do when they're trying to figure out the important factors regarding their own personal traits, like what kind of a traveler they are, that kind of thing. I love that, Susan. And your story is just really, it's not unique because everything that you said about your travel style and behavior is the same travel style that I possess. So I am the planner in my house. 
I plan the trips down to the bathroom breaks, although I must say my husband is more the bathroom break person. And he's like, all right, you have 15 minutes to run in the gas station and get what you get and come back out. So it's very interesting. But I am more of that planner. And I try to coordinate and give everybody an agenda when we leave the house so they understand what they need to pack, what to expect on different days of the week, and make sure that everybody's interest is captured. So one of the things that I absolutely love is Stanley Plug, one of my favorite travel researchers, and he developed this theory that examines travel behavior and the psychology of travel. And I've been using this for over 20 years now in my classroom studies when I'm teaching students. And it has been fine-tuned over time to talk about those personality types and the traits of travelers. So you are not alone. You're like 30% of the population that exhibits that particular personality. But basically, there's this quiz, and I highly recommend that everybody takes the quiz, but we'll talk about that in a little while. But basically, it classifies over 200,000 travelers. And it basically tells you if you exhibit these particular traits, then it says this is the type of travel you are and it recommends destinations for you. So I highly recommend that and we can dive deeper into that. We all, we are unique, but we're not really that unique in that it just depends on you and your personality type. For example, if there's new technology, please sign me up. I'm interested in it. My husband is a late adopter. He waits. I just got a new Samsung fitness watch and I upgraded my last model and it's not much of a difference from this model from the last one. But for me, it's the the fact that it's new technology and I need to be on the forefront of using this technology and sharing this new technology with others. That ties into a travel personality, the people who are early adopters, and that tends to carry over into their travel personalities as well. Because then you tend to be an early adopter of travel destinations, places that are not explored yet, where the general population is not going. So very fascinating, extremely fascinating. It truly is. I love that quiz. And by the way, we will post the link to that in the description of the podcast so people can go to it. And I went to it. It is very easy to take. And I found out that I am the pioneer type of traveler, which I love. I love that. But I was really surprised. I thought the description really was an apt description of myself. And that's excellent also. It was very interesting because, again, this, and by the way, I have never met Stanley Plug, and I don't get paid to, to endorse this at all. But just as travel researchers, that's a part of my job, right? So as a part of my job, I need to see what literature and what theory has been done on this particular topic. And we rely heavily on consumer behavior, consumer motivation theories to help us. So this particular theory from Stanley Plug is prominent in our field. And that's why we often refer to it. For me, it's fascinating because it has evolved over time. I've been using this theory now in the classroom and research for over 25 years now. So when you said pioneer, I actually had to go back and look at it because that's not one of the original terms. It has evolved to these new terms that you're using today when you take the quiz. So I have an older model and they were called the two extremes of travel were allocentrics and psychocentrics. 
So when you said that you, you're a pioneer, right? Is that right? Right, yes. So I had to go back and check. Although, based on what you told me, the things that you like to do, yes. now I have a very good idea, and I can kind of plug you in on that continuum from Stanley Plog and have an idea. And I'm like, okay, she's probably a pioneer and leaning towards adventure. I wasn't quite sure. I think so. One of the things that keyed me in was that you like to plan. And a lot of times our ventures are more of go with the flow, I'll sleep under the stars. I'm exploring this destination very untapped. And that's not me. I have to plan, plan, plan. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah. So, but something else that's different, and I try to explain this to people, there's always caveats, right? A lot of things for me planning, I have kids. And I have to have things in order as I was a business traveler and I would leave home and leave my husband with my kids. And then security plays a large part in this as a female traveler traveling by myself. So selecting destinations and the things that I do while I'm there, I try to be very prepared. So all of these things start to play into this when you look at gender, when you look at family, when you look at age, those things change over time and impact our travel behaviors. So Just based on the way when people talk to me and tell me the things that they're interested in and the way that they live their daily lives, I can pretty much place you on that continuum and figure out where you are and where you fall. Right. I like to be street smart when I'm traveling, especially by myself. I mean, I I do things with my husband. There's no way I do when I travel by myself. I took a trip to Big Bend, and I'm going to talk more about that later. But I've heard people go, what? What?" Because we, we loved it. We went down to Big Bend and we hiked and we were out staying in the ghost town. And, and I love the whole uniqueness of it and the physical activity and everything else. But to me, if I'm going to go somewhere that's so different like that, if I don't know what I'm doing ahead of time, I could, first of all, get in trouble because Big Bend is, is you know, desert and mountain. And exactly. then I also, how would I know which way to go if I only have four or five days? I need to be able to figure that out. And that's excellent. All the points that you raise, which puts you perfectly into that pioneer. The fact that you like uniqueness, which tends to skew you more towards the venture side. And when we say unique, you know, we, we prefer to go to destinations. And I'm saying we because I have the same personality type. So we can travel together, you and I. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and so you're active. And the hiking part of it and the uniqueness of it. But then you still have a little bit of that planning. And that's what makes you the pioneer and you fall into that category. But I absolutely love everything that you said. I just love when I'm talking to people about travel to hear each person's story. When I was teaching an Ollie class and I loved it, I loved every time that I taught the class and everybody would share their different experiences. But we also talked about age and how that will change your personality type. So here's one of those caveats I was talking about because remember your physical ability, like one of the questions may ask, you consider yourself more active than others on a scale of one to five. Well, over time that changes, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was in my 20s, I'm like, oh yeah, give me a five, you know? And now going into my 50s and it's like, I don't know. (laughs) So then that starts to change your personality type, even though you may exhibit some of those things. Like sometimes in my class, I will call them my lifelong learners. My lifelong learners would say, oh my gosh, when I was in my 30s and 40s, my answers would have been very different and I probably would have fit more here. But Mm -hmm. now later in life, I'm fitting somewhere else on a continuum. 
So very different over time. That makes sense. It makes sense to change in according to what you're able to do and what you're able to enjoy. Now, you and I, we're so similar in our traveling, and then we'll, we're going to have to plan somewhere fun. But <laughs> how, how does that work if you're traveling with a group? I've been invited by people, let's all join in together, or let's go on this trip. And I, I don't know what kind of travelers some people are. And I just wonder, how does that work when you're traveling with other people? That's an excellent question and a great point. Because to me, when you go on vacation, it should not be a hassle. It should be easy. It should be fun. It should be relaxing. But before I say that, I think one of the important things is to identify the purpose of the trip. So everybody needs to understand everybody's purpose. As researchers, there's a question that we typically ask. We call them visitor profiles. Visitor profile studies, destinations will survey travelers. So they will randomly select people. And by the way, I'll tell people, please, please, please take the time and answer these surveys. As a researcher, it helps us to improve a destination Mm -hmm. and to know what travelers are looking for when they're at the destination. When I did a survey for a destination, one thing we found that the destination was not wheelchair accessible. So that was interesting feedback to have from a hotel perspective, from the street perspective, our streets were not wide enough to accommodate wheelchairs. And so they said that was one of the reasons that prevented them from visiting the destination. So on the visitor profile, there's a question that asked the purpose of your trip. And typically the main categories are leisure, business, visiting friends and relatives, and now we have a new category we call leisure, which is business plus leisure blended together on a trip. So sometimes for me, it's very interesting because people have different intentions when they're traveling. Now, you told me it sounds like everybody's going for the purpose of a leisure trip, it sounds like. But even when you go on a leisure trip, I'll use my family as an example. Now I'm traveling with my mom and dad. We have multiple generations who are traveling, which is something that is very different than the past also. But now before we go, I ask everybody, what is your intention for this trip? And what do you hope to do on this trip? So my kids, the last trip we took, we went to Disney. My kids were like, we want to go to every attraction at the park. We want to go when the park opens and we want to stay until they close and the attractions are, or they close and they tell us we have to get out. And I said, okay, very good. My husband said, oh my gosh, it's Disney. It's hot. I need breaks because of the heat and the humidity. I need snack breaks. And I said, okay, very good. My parents, on the other hand, they're like, oh, my dad has said, oh, first things first, you need to get a scooter for me because I need mobility in the parks. There's a lot of walking. And in addition to that, of course, we're older now, so we need to take it slower. And we don't mind doing these things, but they gave me a list of things that they wanted to do. That made our trip a hundred times better this go around because in the past I would give them an agenda based on what Kim wanted. (laughs) And now we have an agenda, especially as people are getting older. My kids are college age kids now and my parents are elderly now. So now we have an agenda that reflects what everybody's looking for. That's what I highly recommend to everybody is to talk to everybody. Don't wait till you get to the destination to figure out Now we're at the house and now what do we do? No, talk to everybody in advance and figure that out so you can incorporate that into your planning, which will help to make it stress-free. 
That's a terrific, terrific idea. So often, as you say, we just assume, okay, this is going to be the best vacation, but other people have things in mind. It's great to be able to incorporate everybody's needs. Absolutely. And I have traveled, I am my, one of my children for a while was in a wheelchair and I have traveled in a wheelchair and it is like a whole different world. It certainly is like a whole different world when you travel and the accessibility is such an incredible thing. And, and as we get older with people that are in walkers and whatnot, I have a question for you from the other side, from the venue planning side. As I say, when I took my trip to Big Bend, I went down toward Marfa at a marvelous, marvelous resort ranch. And I went on down to Big Bend and stayed in the ghost town there. I was told, well, you know, if this isn't in the middle of nowhere, you can see it from here, (laughs) which is probably very true. And I felt like I was just in heaven. Whereas other people said to me, what, why would you drive out there? So my question is this, when you have a venue that appeals automatically to a certain type of person, like I say, maybe in a desert or whatever, fill in the blanks. I know you probably know so many other type that would appeal to someone like me that thinks it's very magical to be in that kind of of an area. Would they best be served appealing to just that particular type of traveler? Or does a venue like that try to appeal to everyone and show those people that aren't automatically drawn to something like that what it has to offer. Is that's a long question? Does that make sense to you? It completely makes sense, and it's a great question. I've been very fortunate, A, to work in hotels, and then B, to study the marketing side of it as well. And so this is very interesting because we can try to be a jack of all trades and appeal to everybody, but that may not be a good marketing strategy. A is being transparent in the location and the services that you offer, because a lot of times now, when I first started in the industry, there was no internet. Or I was still just evolving, I should say. So now you can go online, you can do research. So destinations and hotels and venues need to be transparent in their offerings and the amenities that they offer in the location of where the hotel is. Because you don't want a traveler to get to your venue, to your hotel, to your destination. And it's not what they thought it was. It is very, very important to go to the website and do your homework and do your research. Before I go anywhere and I pick a location, I Google that destination. I go to multiple sites. I look at the star ratings on them. I'll go to AAA and look at the ratings, AARP, use any of those travel sites. And I look at what people say. So I don't just rely on the destination to give me their perception of who they are. I mean, sometimes I've picked a hotel and they may say we're located on the strip. And then when you get there and it's like, they are clearly not on a strip. They're like many, many blocks away from where you wanted to be. So you need to get in. And when you start reading the feedback from other travelers, then to me, that's where you get the truth. And that's where you start to see what the destination is truly like. 
but this is very important for marketers also, right? Because they should be savvy enough to know. They need to know what travelers are saying because if I think I'm projecting one thing to attract you to my hotel, but then when I read the feedback, there's some miscommunication there or something that's not being interpreted correctly, then I need to go back and figure out how to rebrand that. So a destination, it is our strategy to try to attract as many different markets as possible. That's how we bring business into the hotel. However, again, we just need to be clear when you attract all of these different market segments that you have something that appeals to each of those segments when they come, because it may not work for every particular traveler. And just to your point, I'll tell you something really quickly. Think about Las Vegas. Las Vegas has had a destination image change over time. So, you know, the big saying for Las Vegas, what happens in Vegas? stays in Vegas because they're attracting this adult party population. At one time, they tried to change and attract families to Las Vegas, and it did not work as well. So they went back to the party atmosphere, attracting adults who want to come and have fun and a good time with the casino aspects. So I think that that's very important. They understood their destination and that trying to target families was not maybe the best marketing branding strategy for them. And then went back to that branding strategy, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So that's a result of doing good research that we understand our travels. And that's extremely important today to know who your guests and your travelers are. You mentioned in your Ollie lecture, consumer motivation theories. Does that incorporate some of what you're saying here? Yes, absolutely. We rely heavily. I always start with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's so funny because a lot of times people say, well, yeah, I remember studying that. (laughs) But it's very interesting to see. And I'll tell them how I give them examples of how I use that when I worked in hotels and trying to motivate employees in the workplace. And then I gave them a very different example of how to use Maslow and help to plan a trip, starting on the very base of the hierarchy of needs where you need a place to stay, you need food and drink. Isn't that a trip? You need to have a hotel room. You need to have a place to eat. So that's the base of the pyramid. And then the next ring is going into safety. So having a hotel and picking a location in the safe area of the town or wherever you're going, then we can apply that to trip planning as well. So very interesting to see how it has so many applications in all these years. It's just fascinating to me. I think for myself, going along with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that when I feel like I've reached the top of that triangle, that is like, wow, I really had a great trip. When it's just like I feel self-actualized. I feel like I've, I've opened up something in myself that has touched my core. That's, that's a great trip. I agree 100%. And I remember, again, when I started teaching Maslow, at the time, over 20 years ago, we said only 4% of the population reached self-actualization. And now we're teaching something very different where people are actually repeating this process over and over again. So it's not a one-time thing with only 4% getting there. Now it's people are reaching self-actualization many times over their lifespan. Fascinating again. 
That is fascinating. I remember when my son, who is almost 30 now, was young and video games were new, at least certainly to me, but there was a game that he would play to build an amusement park. He loved it. It was fascinating for him. I don't even remember the name, but you yeah. you can't see listeners, but she's shaking her head. She's, <laughs> she's familiar with this game. Yes, it I was am. very, you know, the graphics when the little people walking around and he'd build this ride and he'd have this restaurant and he'd have the bathrooms and whatever. And these little bubbles would come over people heads and they'd either be like oh that was fun let's go again or they'd be like these lines are too long and you would win based on how many good comments you had and I can't help but think that that has to really apply with these scenarios in terms of trying to figure out what is the best way to make people happy at your venue or your destination. I I love this example. And like you said, the listeners can't see me, but I have this huge smile on my face because I love these simulations and these types of games that actually put the theories and the content that I teach in the classroom into practice. So when we talk about weight lines, we call that cueing. And so that's a whole science in itself with Disney being one of the leaders in queuing because Disney understands if their guests are spending a lot of hours in line, then that means there's less money you're spending in other places in the park. So it is extremely important to them that they reduce the amount of time, the wait time or the queues so that guests are actually enjoying other parts of the park and spending money. And that their satisfaction is high, right? And that's one of the challenges that my husband always talks about, why that's not his favorite trip, because he's standing in lines for a long period of time. But Disney, being who they are, they're like one of my favorite companies to talk about. They do research. I always tell my students, I said, let me explain something to you. If you go to the Disney College program, you're going there for the experience because you're learning from one of the best companies in the world. Disney knows how many steps a guest will take before they'll throw trash on the ground. They have done research behind this, and the trash cans are strategically placed in the parks. And then they typically blend in, which whatever, whichever area you are in the park, they blend in. So it's very interesting, the science behind all of it. But the same thing for the wait lines. Now they're using this technology that they know when guests are congregating in certain places for an extended period of time, they use the wristbands now that have the RFID and the other technology in it. So I can do a fast pass and I can go back to the attraction that typically has a very long wait line and I can go off and go eat or do something else and enjoy that in the park and then come back for my scheduled time to ride the attraction which has increased our satisfaction tremendously. And I know Disney is fine-tuning this once again, and it's going to evolve more, but that's why I love them. Every time I go back to the park and my husband said, oh my gosh, I don't want to go back to the theme park. I'm enjoying it from a totally different perspective to see how their queuing has evolved. I'm looking at the technology that is being used to deliver guest satisfaction in the parks. I'm looking at the customer service that if there's a challenge, how is Disney going to resolve that challenge? So I'm going from a wholly, totally different mindset than many travelers are going. But yes, absolutely. Understanding the science of queuing is a field in itself. 
if I was one of those characters in the video game on my trip to Disney World, I had this bubble over my head, like, this is so clean. And I really yes. felt like they cared about me. I had the Fast Pass, which was amazing. And I was just blown away by the details of making me satisfied. I love that, the attention to detail. That's one of the main things that we teach in our hospitality and tourism program at UNT is that we educate students on the attention to detail. And then also, I always remind them that they need to remember when a guest is spending money on a trip. Disney is very expensive. Taking any other trip that you take costs a lot of money. And I always ask the students, I said, and what do our guests get? as a result of spending 15000 on their next vacation. What do they come back with? And they'll say memories. I said, exactly. They're not coming back like an automobile. If I go and buy a 30000 car, I use that car as tangible. I'm driving in it every day. It's very different than the trip. I come back with memories, and I'm sharing memories from my vacation. So I said, you need to exceed guest expectations. Meeting a guest's expectations is not enough anymore. We need to exceed those expectations. And one of my favorite things is that I worked at the Ritz-Carlton and opened up the Ritz-Carlton in New Orleans, one of my favorite jobs that I ever had. But one of the things they always told us, and I said, how do you exceed a guest's expectations? They said, you have to become a mind reader. And I said, a mind reader? How do you do that? And so they said, it's raining outside. What do you do? Tell us what you do if it's raining outside. I said, well, people need umbrellas. They said, exactly. So you need to go find our umbrellas and we put them by the door and then we can open them and help the guests when they're coming in. And what about the floors? Typically, they'll be wet because people have umbrellas. Exactly. So now we need to get wet floor signs and we need to have people staged in front to make sure that we clean up those puddles as soon as people are walking into the hotel. See, you're a mind reader. <laughs> so I remember my son worked for Mercedes headquarters, Mercedes-Benz here in North America, and they had a person from the Ritz-Carlton customer service come and visit them, one of their top dogs. And he had said that when they have a visitor who requests a certain thing or needs something, they record that so that when you come back, they're like, oh, Oh, Dr. Williams, you need the blah, blah, blah. You want a room that's this way or whatever. So I guess you would be like a mind reader. You'd be like, how did you know that? And I tell you the art of training the employees. So if you come in and you say, oh, please, do you have a Perrier water? I didn't see any in the gift shop downstairs. Then I own that request. The fact that you asked me, I am trained to own that request, A. B, I need to figure out a way to get that water for you. And then C, I need to tell whoever's in charge of that to put that information into your profile so that anytime you travel anywhere, the next time you check in, there'll probably be Perrier water waiting for you when you check into the room. Because the Ritz-Carlton has done their research, which is extremely important, and they know on average how much a guest spends over a lifetime at the Ritz-Carlton. So therefore, they make sure that every time you stay at a Ritz-Carlton, you're going to have a memorable stay with them because they expect you to come back again. So they're, between the Ritz and Disney, they're my two favorite companies to always talk about. They're excellent. I know that you, you can go to the same area and be at the same venue. And depending on where you stay and where you eat, it can be like you're in a whole different place. I mean, I'm not saying right. you have to go. You know, I know the Ritz-Carlton is very expensive, 
but you can still make your trip so different as though you're even in a different place. It's really something. I'm only going to go in the future to Dr. Williams approved hospitality places, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> just to let you know, <laughs> you're going to have to come up with a list or a blog. I love it. That's great. Now, I know that you're from Louisiana, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. And it's been a long time in Louisiana. And I know you've done research on how disasters such as Hurricane Katrina, oh my God, that was horrible, how that impacted the hospitality industry. And now, of course, we have COVID rearing its ugly head and it won't go away, apparently. So do the lessons from Katrina... And that chaos help with planning for this COVID and what people are doing in the hospitality business and in traveling. Yes, absolutely. Katrina was interesting in itself because 70% of the city was underwater. And it was unlike any other hurricane. I remember growing up and my parents would always say, sometimes uh, being a resident in New Orleans, you were very reluctant to evacuate because it costs a lot of money to get a hotel room and to pay for food and just have the services that you need when you're away from home. And so a lot of times the residents would be reluctant to leave and evacuate for a storm. And Katrina was no different. If I recall correctly, we had just evacuated not too many months before for another storm. And unfortunately, the storm ended up taking a different path. And we were very happy for that. But then in another breath, we are also like, oh, I spent all this money to evacuate. Here's another storm. And this time I'm not leaving. So we get very complacent. But with the storm in that particular occasion, boy, did we learn a lot of lessons because Mm Unfortunately, this happens not just with New Orleans, with a lot of businesses in general. We have these policies and plans and procedures in place, but we don't practice them until the emergency is here and it's too late. Those preparations and those plans, that needs to be ongoing. So in New Orleans in particular, not only that, because we have never prepared for a city being 70% underwater, but the plans that we learned as a result of that were helpful because we would laugh and say, what else could there possibly be? You know, we've had hurricanes. There was an oil spill. There was, we went through the recession, September 11th, just about everything the country went through, but there was always something. So a lot of those lessons, one, for example, that was learned from Hurricane Katrina was to have a unified communication plan so that you didn't have different people communicating different things to tourists, to the media, et cetera. I remember a big thing after Hurricane Katrina was, is the water safe to drink? Mm-hmm. Depending on who you ask, you got a different answer. If you went to a restaurant, they would say, don't drink the water, it's not safe. Whereas in the campaign, the advertising campaign that we had, we told you this, the water was perfect. So now we need to make sure that all of our communication is streamlined. And we basically have one voice that is representing all of us so that everybody's not communicating different things and confusing the media, confusing travelers. So that was one major thing that we learned. And then there were a couple of other lessons, the same thing. But please let me say this. A major difference between Katrina and COVID is that COVID is impacting the world whereas Katrina impacted New Orleans. So it's very different. As one of my good friends said from New Orleans, the Calvary is not coming to New Orleans to save us this time because it's impacting everybody. 
So that's one of the biggest things is that now there's a big focus on safety. People need to feel safe. They need to feel like the facilities are clean. They need to feel safe when they get to the destination and that they will be taken care of. And then we have another challenge where um, we don't have enough employees as well. So am I going to get the service that I expect? I'm paying full price for this experience. Am I going to get the services that I expect when I get to the destination, which is extremely important? This has been quite an experience. Every time I, you know, I stop telling people, they're like, what else? I said, don't even ask anymore. Don't ask what else. Because at one time, I remember when I started doing resilience and crisis and disaster research, crisis and disasters were few and far between. And now they're occurring so frequently. There's so many examples that we can draw from to help us when we're dealing with these crises and disasters. I'll tell you one more thing that was really quick that we learned in New Orleans is that you don't lower the cost. Don't lower the rates so low. It takes travelers a long time to rebound, to get back. So if you constantly discount, then people are going to continue to expect that discount. And it takes a longer time to get the traveler reoriented to paying those higher rates that they should be paying to stay in a hotel, to get the services that they expect to, to attract the employees in the hotel, et cetera, and the amenities. So that's one of the big things that we learned as a result of that. COVID is very different, though, so I'm not sure that that applies right now to get people to travel. So it just depends. A friend of mine is in the, the hospitality business, and she made the remark that COVID now is a known entity, so you don't get the refunds that you used to. You can no longer get set up for, say, a wedding venue in October and then expect when October rolls around and we've had a new variant, you can't expect to get your money back. Is that the case? That's correct. That's correct. Initially, we didn't know. Now we know, and customers should know and have a better understanding of where we are. So I think that that needs to be a part of us as consumers to say, okay, am I okay with putting up my money? I remember hearing people saying I had a cruise plan and I lost $17,000 and they will not give me my money back. They told me that they will put it towards a future cruise. And I felt so bad for people like that. But I always say, I take trip insurance for everything now. So make sure you pay that extra amount for trip insurance, whether it's an airplane ticket, if you can get the trip insurance, understanding that there's some factors, there's some legal things like force du jour and some uh, some other terms where the, the destination or the company is not liable for acts of God. So you have to be careful and don't think that it applies to everything. But Take out that trip insurance because it helps you, especially when you're spending that amount of money. You want to be able to try to recoup your money in case there's another COVID variant or some type of disaster or crisis. That's a great tip. Thank you. So as we wrap up, I have two questions for you. One is probably kind of a long question. Like, What are your bottom line tips for people that are getting ready to travel? Ah, Very good question. So one... I would say to check right now with COVID, everything is so fluid. So I had a trip planned. I intended to go to Costa Rica. We have a two-year degree program, a Master of Science in International Sustainable Tourism. And so students spend one year in Denton and the second year in Costa Rica. 
So I had a trip to Costa Rica. Well, I am now checking the date travel advisory from the United States and checking the travel advisories to see what level we are and if it's safe to travel to that destination before you make any plans. I'm even looking at the COVID infection rates before I travel to a destination and get an idea of how safe it is. So I would suggest that to people, especially now states are changing. If I'm not mistaken, my mother told me in New Orleans on Monday at 6 o'clock a.m there's a mask mandate that you're required to wear a mask if you're in New Orleans. So check those things before you take your trip to see what's happening with COVID and the local regulations of wherever you're going and make sure you're comfortable with those regulations if you intend to go to that destination. Some other trip tips I would say, please take that quiz, thebesttripchoices.com. We talked about this earlier, and this is something I wanted to suggest going back to a question you asked me. Have everybody in your travel party take that quiz because then you can look at everybody's personality profile and you have a better understanding. It helps you to understand where everybody's coming from and probably what they would like to do on that trip. So if I'm active and I'm like, oh, please, let's go canoeing. But then if you look at some of the other profiles, like a traditional traveler, or we would call them psychocentric, they're more laid back and relaxed, and they probably want to be in that hot tub and read a book. So you may be asking them to do something that's not something that they would enjoy doing. So that way it just helps you to marry those different itineraries together. So one day you may go canoeing and they may schedule something else on that day. And maybe you can find a group in that area where they'll pick you up from the hotel, schedule something with the concierge at the hotel to partake in that particular activity that you're interested in. And then something else I would say, we a lot of people moved away from travel agents. I am using travel agents. I used to enjoy planning my own trip, planning every detail. I enjoy doing that. Now I'm going back to travel agents, A, because of the insurance, B, because they're more knowledgeable about the risk and aware of what's happening at destinations. So I would say if you have a Costco membership, if you are a member of SAMS, Triple A, double ARP, take advantage of their travel services. I went to Triple A recently. We wanted to go to Spain with my son. So I was going to take out the travel insurance. But one thing they said, did you know as a benefit of Triple A that they would send a car, a chartered car to the house to pick us up? So we would not have to pay parking at the airport and we wouldn't have to worry about transportation. That's automatically included in that package. So Pay attention to those things because sometimes they have packages that has extra perks and maybe added meals, added excursions in that. So that's becoming more of a benefit to me and something that I'm doing now that I did not do in the past and I didn't consider doing in the past. And then finally, one more thing that I would say, I talked about multiple generations traveling. So in one of my Ollie classes, as a matter of fact, we had this conversation where someone said when they're traveling with their grandkids, they give them the budget and they let them plan the trip because that sets the expectations for the trip. So even when I've gone with my kids and they'll say, oh, let's go to Universal. Universal is very expensive for a one-day ticket. I mean, they're now like $125, $130 for one day for one person for, um, on a trip. But if I give them the budget, now they can decide, is it worth going to Universal for that particular day? And maybe they'll opt out of a character meal 
that's more expensive. But now I'm letting them take care of that and prioritize what's important to them. And then give them the caveats that says, like for my mom and dad, and by the way, we need a day of downtime. So make sure you schedule that in. And I give them the parameters and the budget with which to create that schedule. And it has just made the trip so much more enjoyable. Now having them take over with the planning part, but then incorporating what everybody wants into the trip. So that's a couple of things that I would recommend. Those are great tips. I can see how they make a tremendous difference, especially having your kids be invested or your grandchildren be invested in whatever it is that you've decided to do. That's amazing. Now, this last question is a little bit of a change of subject, but when we were trying to arrange a time to talk, you were so busy and you were in charge or scheduling the UNT Celebrity Chef Series, which piqued my interest because along with travel, (laughs) I love to eat well. Can you just talk a little bit about that real quick before we say goodbye? Yes, absolutely. The president has this initiative for Celebrity Chef Series. And every year, uh, to be honest, I, uh, I started at UNT in 2019. And so the Celebrity Chef was delayed when I arrived because of COVID. So it was intended to be a lecture plus a dinner where our students worked alongside a celebrity chef. And we were very, very lucky to have Brian Terry this year join us. He focuses on soul food and vegan dishes and vegetarian. So it was just fantastic talking to him coming from New Orleans. And I said, how is it possible to have soul food? and vegan in the same sentence together, you're killing me. So we had a great conversation and he gave like these interesting ways of incorporating. It was very funny. We labeled the the lunch. It ended up becoming a lunch because of COVID. Such a phenomenal event. We had over 300 people who attended last fall. Our students planned the menu and prepared the menu and executed it beautifully. We had one of our alum that we challenged to make a vegan centerpiece. And she created these beautiful cabbage, green and purple cabbages with carrots and and different vegetables and flowers in it. And it was just absolutely amazing. But the food was also amazing. But really, it was what was interesting to me is that when I talked to Chef Brian Terry and he advised me, he said, in the future, do not promote the event as a vegan or vegetarian event. He said, I would have advised you to handle this differently because he said a lot of times people don't even realize when you remove things from the menu that it's missing. So to get them to try it and to be open-minded about it, to think about excluding the word vegan or vegetarian, don't promote it as that type of event. But anyway, we had grits and collard greens and some beautiful maple cornbread. The students just did an amazing job executing that menu. It was so much fun. So I'm looking forward to our chef next year. And I hope that some of the listeners will join us when these events are promoted. And then I'll give one last plug, if you don't mind. We have have a restaurant on campus at the club at Gateway. It's a student-operated restaurant and is a part of their academic studies. They need to take this class where they work in the front of the house and back of the house, and they provide lunch Tuesdays through Thursdays, and it's very reasonable. It includes a salad or soup, 
and your entree and a dessert and a drink. And it's very affordable. I think it's $14 per person and a very nice setting. So I would invite everybody, please come and join us. There's reservations. We have a great website, the Club at Gateway. So check out the menu. It's posted there, but there's always something fun. My favorite last semester was Cupcake Week with the students. There was a contest, and they designed these amazing cupcakes. And then we had filet mignon day. It was something that was new. We're always trying different things. Yes, I think people would really love it if they get the chance. So please join us for Celebrity Chef and the Club at Gateway during the semester. We usually start at about week nine each semester and they can come and see what our students are learning so that would be great well if there was a personality quiz for events i would be right in there on both of those things so that is amazing i love to hear about all of this this has been great I could speak with you and speak with you longer than you probably have time. So it's been so fascinating. You've given us so many good tips and I thank you. I know you're an incredibly busy person and I thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us. You are very welcome and I'm inviting you to lunch. We're going to get together again and plan our trips. I would love that. (laughs) Let me know. I am standing by. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. This has been Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas with Dr. Kim Williams. Thanks for listening and safe and happy travels. The Ali at UNT podcast is recorded and edited by Susan Supak and produced by me, Jordan Williams. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our previous interviews and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. To receive email notifications about each new episode, join our email list at olli.unt.edu slash podcast. 